Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have in my hand a cannon. Not a cannon with two ends. Because a cannon with two ends is a large, heavy piece of artillery, and I would not be able to hold one of those up even with two hands. But a cannon with one end is a rule or a yardstick, a measure or a standard. And the canon of Scripture is the rule and the standard of what we believe and by which we live our lives. Now, when the church confesses and summarizes the teaching of Scripture, the church confesses and summarizes the teaching of Scripture. So, the church doesn't make stuff up. And also the idea of canon is not something the church has made up. If you look in your Bible at Galatians 6.16, Galatians 6.16, that's page 975 in your ESV. And here the apostle writes the following, and as for all who walk by this canon, that's the word in Greek, it's a Greek word, all who walk by this canon, by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And there are other scriptures which use the word canon as well. Now, as we're going through this article, if you have your book of praise open, you will be able to follow the sermon a lot better because I'm going to be going basically phrase by phrase through especially the fifth article of our Belgian Confession. Now, just looking at the top of Article 4 there, we believe the Holy Scriptures, all the New Testament, are canonical against which nothing can be alleged. So the church receives the God-breathed-out Word as infallible. There is no weakness. There is no point of failure because it is not human, but it comes from God Himself. And so the scriptures are holy. And now I'm starting on Article 5 here. We receive all these books and these only as holy and canonical. Holy because they're not common. They're not just another book with another opinion. But these are holy books. They are set apart. They're in a special category. They belong in a special sense to God himself, for they are his very words. And because they are, his very words, they are canonical. They are the measure of all things, of everything. And so we receive the word of God, the word from God, for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith. And I want to just look at those three words for a moment with you. Regulation, foundation, and confirmation. We receive the God-breathed word for the regulation of our faith. Now, that means that the word of God speaks not just to what we do on Sundays or what we think when we're talking about religion or faith, but the word of God applies to every aspect of our life, for in all of our life we live as people of faith. 
the Word of God regulates and is the standard, the measure, which speaks to everything and about everything in our lives, who we are, where we come from, why the world exists, how the world came into being, why there is evil and pain in the world, what human beings are, how humans are different than the animals, the relationship between humans and the environment, the creation, the difference between male and female, between man and woman, the meaning and the character of marriage, sexuality, family, education, the bringing up of children, work, politics, culture, economy, how to spend money, how to save money, entertainment, conflict, friendship, war, peace. The Bible speaks to all of life and to everything that we experience in life. It speaks even to the hard sciences. In mathematics, two plus two only equals four because in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. The only reason that there is any sense or order or logic, or reason in the universe is because all things hold together, as we heard this morning in our text, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, the Scriptures, as they reveal Christ to us, also even have to do with physics. As we consider the phenomenon called gravity, which the the physicists cannot explain, they can only observe. We know from the scriptures why it is there and how it works. Because as we read in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, all things in Christ, the, the, the text said this morning that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything is held together and upheld by the word of his power. And so there's no aspect to our lives to which God does not speak through the scriptures. In every part, in every uh, aspect of our existence, we can say with David, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And so... The Word of God we receive in these holy and canonical books for the regulation of our life of faith. Also, and here's the second word, for the foundation of our faith. That means that what God speaks to us in the Word is something we can build our lives on. You remember what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You see, that's the one possibility. There's only two possibilities in life. You either build your life on the rock of God's word, or you build your life on the shifting sand of unbelief. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Those are the only two options you have in life. You will either be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, or you will be anchored to the foundation of Scripture in the unity of the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so we receive these holy books for the regulation of our faith in every aspect of our lives. We receive these holy books, the Scriptures, for the foundation of our faith. And then in the third place, we receive them for the confirmation of our faith. That's the third word. How do I know that what I believe is true? Well, I go to the Word of God. And like the Bereans, I search the Scriptures. And I do that even if it's an apostle speaking to me. Even if it's an angel from heaven speaking to me, I go to the Scriptures. How do I know if the preaching is true? I go to the Scriptures. How do I know if my experience of faith is valid? I search the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures are the living and abiding Word of God, living and active, penetrating to the very core of our existence. And they, and they alone, will confirm our faith. And so we receive these books for the regulation, foundation, and confirmation of our faith, and we believe, says the confession, without any doubt, all things contained in them. Now, this is a very, very strange thing to say in the year 2022 in North America and much of the developed world. We believe without any doubt all things contained in them. For much of our society, these words are the height of arrogance and folly all wrapped up together. It's the last thing that any intelligent, educated person would ever want to say in public. And yet, this is what the church confesses. We live in a time of postmodernism which celebrates uncertainty. We live in a time in which the greatest minds in our world cannot even define what is a woman. And doubt is celebrated as something holy and good. Now, as Christians, we need to go back and figure out where that comes from. And all we need to do is go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we see when doubt was brought into the world, doubt was the seed that was sown by the devil in the garden. Did God really say that? That's how the devil began. That's how the devil continues. That's how the devil comes to us today. Did God really say that? Is that really what the Bible says? Are you sure that you're reading that right? Unbelief is the suppression of the knowledge of God in creation 
and the rejection of the knowledge of God in the Scriptures. And if you do not know God, you cannot know anything for certain because your entire epistemology, your entire structure of knowledge has no foundation. It is built on shifting sands and it will collapse like a house of cards. And because the unbeliever rejects the foundational truth of the Word of God, there is one thing that they hate and despise, and that is the certainty of the, of the Christian, that we know the truth. And that we know the truth because we know His name. And that His name is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life and that we have no doubt about him. Now, there are Christians, between quotation marks, who don't feel real comfortable being mocked by the world, with the world saying, you guys are so backwards, you believe in this mythological book called the Bible, all these old stories. No intelligent person would do that. And so there are Christians that, in an attempt to gain the world's approval, they end up adopting the world's approach. And so there are Christians, and there are many. You can find a lot of so-called Christian teaching out there, a lot of it on the internet, which celebrates doubt and which makes doubt seem to be such a pious and godly and humble and Jesus-like thing. And so you have so-called Christians who detest the certainty of the Word of God. And you'll often hear them saying things like this. Well, I, I know that the Bible, much of it is not true. There are a lot of myths and made-up stories. And of course, we couldn't possibly believe Genesis chapter 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 11 and probably a lot more chapters. So they're not really true but, but I just celebrate my lack of knowledge and my lack of certainty, and I celebrate the paradox. I don't believe a word of what God has said to me. In fact, I don't even believe that he's saying anything to me in the Bible. But I, I love him, and I trust him anyway. That's the, that's the tension that I celebrate in my faith. Brother and sister... If you separate God from the Word of God, then you end up with a problem. Because without the Word, He is unknowable. And when you despise the Word, and when you reject the Word, you end up with a God of your own making. You make a God in your image. And it's the kind of God that cool, educated, self-satisfied unbelievers find acceptable, perhaps. But it is certainly not the God of truth or the God of the Scriptures. And so, brother and sister, don't fall for the lies of the devil. Doubt and uncertainty 
have a place in the Christian life. Oh, they have a very important place in the Christian life, but there should be doubt and uncertainty about your wisdom and my wisdom, about your understanding and my understanding, about your opinions and my opinions, and skepticism. Bring it on. Let's be skeptical of a lot of things. Let's be skeptical, especially of the minister's opinions. That's good. But let us have no doubt about the Word of God. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what the Word says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you keep reading chapter 11 of the book to the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, you see a long list of people that lived according to that faith, the faith which had no doubt that when God says something, it is true, and that when God promises something, He will bring it to pass. And people were sawn in two, and they, were, they died in agony. And they gave up family and homes and friends. And they gave up everything. Because they knew that God's word is sure. And that you can build your life on it. We believe without any doubt. All things, all things contained in them. Those are the words of a Christian who falls down before the Word of God and worships. Now, how can we be so sure? How can we do that? How can we believe without any doubt all things contained in them? Well, the, the Belgian Confession goes on to give three reasons. If you look at Article 5, and we're going to look at those reasons right now. The first one is, is not such an important one. Do you notice how we confess it here? Not so much because the church receives and approves them as such. So this is not the most important reason. It is true that the church receives and approves of the Scriptures as the very Word of God. But that's not the main reason why we have no doubt in them. What we need to spend a little bit of time on here is understanding what comes first, the church or the Word of God. The Roman church says this. The Roman church says the church is first, then comes the Word. The church is first, the apostles, Peter, the first pope, and then the church wrote the Word of God. And so the Word of God is derived from the church, and, and the church decided what the Word of God is. And that's why in the Roman church, the authority of the Word of God is under the authority of the Pope. The Pope and the church's teaching is just as authoritative, if not more, than the very words of Scripture. Now, the Romanists have it totally back to front. What does the Bible teach us? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 is an important verse. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 tells us what the proper order is. And the, the Apostle Peter says to believers, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Your new life, your regeneration, your new heart comes because the Word of God regenerated you. 
And what is that word of God? Well, look at the end of verse 25 there in 1 Peter chapter 1. This word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. So first is the gospel. The gospel comes to dead sinners and makes them alive in Christ and makes them Christians. Gospel first, Christians second. And when you get a whole bunch of Christians together, you've got a church. And so think of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, where the apostle says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation of the apostles and prophets. That means the church is built on the word of God. What holds true for the individual believer holds true for the church as a whole. The church gives rise and brings to birth, uh, sorry, the scripture gives rise and brings to birth the church. And so the canon, the list of books that are received by the church as the very word of God, as the standard for our life of faith. This list of books that we have in the scriptures and the Bible is not here because the church had a meeting and had a synod, made a synod decision and said, well, these books we're going to consider to be God's word. That's not how it worked. Rather, God spoke through the prophets and the apostles and the church received their words not as the word of man, but as it really is the word of God. When the prophets and the apostles spoke inspired by and carried along by the power of the spirit of God, the church heard the voice of God. And over time, the books containing the record of the revelation given to the prophets and the apostles were recognized and received as the very word of God, not just by one local church, but by the churches of Christ in general. They were put together in one collection of books that we now know as the Bible or the biblical canon. And so there's no decision or judgment of the church here. There's simply recognition and receiving humbly the Word of God. And we can praise God for this beautiful thing, the providence of God, that He brought the Word into being and delivered it into our hands as such an incredible blessing. But that's not the main reason that we believe the Bible without doubt. The main reason is the next one here, where the confession continues, but especially because the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God. And maybe there are some good, solid, reformed people who are saying, here, well, that seems a little subjective. We don't want to be subjective, do we? The Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God. It sounds a little bit Pentecostal, maybe, that it's all about the Spirit working in you, and it depends on how you feel. Is this subjective? Well, no, it's not. We're not making personal judgments here. We're not taking the Bible, and we're not looking at different verses and different chapters and different books and saying, well, I feel that this makes the cut, and this one doesn't. This book I kind of receive, I think it's God's word for me, but this other book, no. This one verse, yes, I like that, and that's God's word for me, but the other verse, I don't really like that. I don't really see that as God's word. That's not what we're seeing here in the confession. What we're seeing is this, is that when the child of God, when the believer 
hears the word, reads the word, then the child of God knows the word. Why? Well, who are you? You're a child of God. And what does the Bible say about the children of God? Romans 5, 5, the, the love of God has been poured into our hearts, is the scripture. And that means that the God of love himself is in us. Jesus says that when we believe on him, then the Father and the Son come to live in us through the Holy Spirit. And so the scriptures say that we are, as Christians, as believers, temples of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. As the glory of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit of God dwelt in the midst of the congregation in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle holy of holies, later on in the temple holy of holies, now that glorious presence of the Spirit of God dwells in the church and in each heart of each believer, that same Shekinah glory is in you, not just on Sundays, but as you go throughout your daily life. Now, do you think that God would recognize his own word? Children, do you think that the Holy Spirit would recognize the words that he has inspired? I think so. And so, when the believer who has the Holy Spirit, reads the Word of God, hears the Word of God, read or preached, then the Spirit of God in us testifies and says, oh yes, that's my Word. Those are the words that I have inspired. And we see that a little bit when we look at Luke chapter 24, 32, when the disciples that are on the road to Emmaus, they're walking along, the Lord Jesus walks with them, and you know that when he finally sits down with them at the supper, he breaks bread, and then they recognize him as the resurrected Lord Jesus. And then this is fascinating what they say to each other, because as they, as they were walking on the road, he was opening the scriptures to them, and he was explaining from all the scriptures, from Moses and, and the prophets and, and the Psalms, from the whole Old Testament, he was explaining to them what the Bible said about him. And then in Luke 24, 32, when he disappeared, they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now, this is not, I don't know if you've ever had a Mormon come by and, and spend a lot of time with you because if they spend a, a bit of time with you, they'll get to the point where they say, you know, you read the Book of Mormon, and you'll feel this warm feeling in your, in your chest, and, and then you'll know it's true. That's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what the confession is teaching either. This is not some weird kind of emotional, uh, psychosomatic kind of phenomenon. But this is what Paul speaks of when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have your Bible handy, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. We'll look at those verses a little bit. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 14. And here he, he's saying, 
The Spirit searches everything, even the depth of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And that makes sense, right? You know your own thoughts. No one else does. I can't read your thoughts, but you know your own. And so no one can read God's thoughts except his own spirit. And then Paul continues, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And so that spirit, that spirit of God who knows exactly what he thinks about everything, that spirit lives in us. And so we receive the Spirit of God, look at verse 12, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Then look at verse 14. The natural man, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What is the apostle saying? He's saying this, that only those who have the Spirit of God in them can hear the Word of God, receive the Word of God, understand the Word of God, and glorify God for His Word, because when they hear Him speak, they know Him and the Christ whom He has sent. This is how it works. Kind of like a, a little baby. A little baby knows the sound of mother's voice. The baby reacts, right, moms? The little baby, as young as the baby is, will respond to mom's presence and to mom's voice. The baby does not say, would you please give me some peer-reviewed research to prove to me that this is my mother. Babies don't do that. They're too smart for that. Or when a loved one leaves you a voice message, you don't need to hire scientists to do voice analysis and analyze the content and do discourse analysis and, and, and analyze the vocab to, to see if it's really the person you love. When you hear a voice message from someone you love, you know, you recognize them by their voice and by what they say. And so when God speaks to us, we know. Because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's that simple. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if you read the Bible and it doesn't make a lick of sense to you, and if you come to church and you're like, what are they saying? And it's just so incredibly boring, I can't wait till it's finished. Then what you need is you need to get down on your knees and you need to say, God, I need your spirit in my heart. I need a new heart. I need your spirit to come and live in me so that I can hear the voice of the Lord Jesus and recognize it and love it and follow it. And that's why when you're evangelizing, don't try to convince your neighbor, your colleague with logic and all kinds of carefully crafted arguments, but pray for them. Pray for God to do to them what he did to Lydia there at Philippi when Paul was speaking. He opened her heart to receive the word. 
And so when you're evangelizing someone, pray for them, but then also instruct them how to read the Bible. Don't just give them a Bible, say, start reading, but say, you know what? Before you read, ask God to open your heart so that you can hear his voice for only the spiritual person can discern the things of God. And so that's the main reason why we recognize the Holy Scriptures, because the Spirit of God in us testifies to us that they are the very Word of God. And then there's a third reason that the, that the confession gives. That's the end of Article 5 here. And also because they contain the evidence of this in themselves. For even the blind are able to perceive that the things foretold in them are being fulfilled. So that's the third reason. Even if you're blind, you can't miss the fact that God's word is true. That God's promises come true. And that's throughout the scriptures. You start reading and, and it just comes page after page after page. We're just going to look at a few verses right now. Joshua 21, 45, at the end of the period of, of the entrance to the land and the conquest of the land of promise, this is what the scripture says. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And that is the continual testimony of scripture. God promises something. He says something. It comes true. He speaks, and it happens, and it stands, and it is firm. You read that in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, where Solomon is praying at the inauguration of the temple, and this is what he says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. Well, what did he speak by Moses, his servant? He spoke the Pentateuch. He spoke the scriptures that Solomon had in his hands just the first five books that, that he had, but every one of the things that were written in there, Solomon said they have come true. God's promises are true and sure. And even the blind can perceive, says our brother Guido de Bre. He's kind of really using hyperbole here because it's, it's, he's trying to drive home to us how incredibly obvious it is that God's word is true. And as you read the scriptures with a heart of prayer, you see it more and more and more. You read Isaiah, and Isaiah more than a century before the exile and the return. He prophesies both the exile and the return and mentions Cyrus by name way before he is even born. You read Psalm 22, and you read in Psalm 22, that psalm which begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You read in that psalm what some people call the fifth gospel account of the crucifixion. And you look at that psalm, it's written a thousand years before Jesus died. And when you read it, it sounds like it's written by someone that was standing at the foot of the cross. Word perfect. Getting even some of the words that were spoken by Jesus' enemies as they surrounded him as he hung there dying. And so you read through the scriptures and, and the Holy Spirit drives home time and time again how his word is true as it prophesies of the Christ and as it is fulfilled in the Christ. And, and that's true in our lives as well. Over and over, we 
learn that the word of God proves true. When we walk in the light of the word, we taste the promised blessings. And when we turn aside from the way, we suffer pain and destruction, the pain and destruction that the word warns us about. And the longer we live, the longer we know Christ, the more we learn and experience that God's word is true, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have in my hand the canon, the Holy Scripture, the infallible rule for faith and life. And for Christians, this book is our greatest treasure. This is the very word of God. And the church recognizes it as such. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that it is. And we see it with our own eyes. Here, we have the revelation of God in Christ. Here, we get to know Jesus Christ. And in him, we get to know the Father. That is the meaning of life, now and forever. This canon is truth in a world of lies. It is light in a world of darkness. It is springs of life-giving water in a world of parched desert. It is life in a world of death. And it is certainty in the midst of a world of confusion. And in a godless, broken world, God speaks to you in his word. And he speaks words of truth unbroken. And we will live by that word, that solid rock upon which we build our lives. As we have no doubt that he has kept every promise. And so he will continue to fulfill all his promises to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we long to see the final consummation. We're going to sing that in a few minutes now. Our soul awaits the great Redeemer. We love him. And we trust in him. And we hope in him. Because he is coming to make all things new. That's his promise. And God keeps his promise. God is true to his word. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.